Hello, and welcome to the Oscar Went To, the podcast that looks back at a year in film and sees what films endured, what films didn't, and attempts to figure out why. Please give it up for your masters of ceremony, Max Salim and Nick Mestad. Well, we're back together, just just you and I. Yeah, it's been a it's while. Good, it's good to good to be back in the old old rhythm. Love a, love a guest, but also love uh, love the. We're we're both half vaccinated. Yeah, I have. I currently have a shot in my arm. Halfway Not- pushed. Halfway pushed in. I'm debating. The syringe is halfway in. <laughs> yeah, I'm basically just kind of negotiating with the uh, health professional right now whether or not to push the sh- syringe. So, just weighing my options. We're one. Uh, we're one. Uh, one hour closer to each one other. Hour. That's true. As of yeah, that we are. This is we are recording this on daylight savings day, <laughs> as it's famously known. Man, I'm I'm learning to speak. We're yeah, March 14th. So it's daylight savings. We have sprung ahead we've lost an hour here in the states and meanwhile max abroad is um has remained on the same same clock haven't moved haven't moved an inch i'm jealous are you more of a, a spring forward guy or a fall back guy i i've I, it, growing up fall back was the the best especially like in high school college fall back nothing beat it just to like have another hour to sleep it's just all about sleep but as an adult, I've really uh, come to really love spring forward and just to, to like gut the loss of that one hour of sleep for uh, to have daylight longer is like no question worth it. I, I completely agree. The, 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 the instant satisfaction when the time change happens of fall back is obviously better, but the days get longer with the spring forward. Yeah. Like uh, it, it's really you're, you're, you're rounding the final final turn of winter yes yeah and maybe it, the pandemic i know it's, it's it's remarkable how it's like coincided i feel like these uh, i i will i will throw it out there that maybe it's just like these like uh kind of natural rhythms of life and seasons and everything that like all this has coincided where it's like you know a massive momentum gain for the the vaccination rollout along with spring it's really hopeful i'm not gonna I'm not gonna put it in any other way it's hopeful as is is kind of what I'm feeling in the air. Got some stimulus checks coming. Yeah, <laughs> I'm checking my. We bank can put account. it right into yeah, yeah. Can can put it right into the Oscar went to advertising fund for sure. Uh, you, you know that's you know that's where it's <laughs> where it's all going. As soon as I as soon as I saw that it passed, I'm like the podcast. Thanks you. We don't have a uh, we don't have a guest this episode, but I kind of wish we had um, a Gen X friend to join us for this. Uh, this is, I mean, this is like my first umbrella point about this movie is because it really, that yes, that this the, what this movie is and represents and why it has cult status is is sort of a like a it's a generational gap for 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 certainly me and I and I would I would venture to say you as well. Um, well, here let me uh, let me yeah. intro us into here, okay, Do and it. then we'll, we'll we'll start to get into it. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to the Oscar went to. This week, as a supplement to our 1994 episode, we are getting our scuba gear on and doing a deep dive into the 94 hit uh, Reality Bites, directed by Ben Stiller. I'm your co-host, Max. I'm your co-host, Nick. Uh, A little bit of housekeeping first. On this podcast, we like to look back at a year in film and decide what has aged well and what hasn't and try to figure out why. If that sounds interesting to you, jump back, I guess, four episodes now in our feed and check out our recap of 1994. 
And then after that recap, we like to jump in the depths and take a closer look at some of the films that piqued our interest from a given year. That's what this is. A quick disclaimer, our deep dive episodes are no holds barred and we absolutely get into spoiler territory. So if you've never seen Reality Bites and you'd like to, this might not be a good starting episode for you. Okay, let's get into it. So this is this uh, episode is a request from a listener. I'd never seen this movie before before watching it for this episode. And at first, when I when I thought we when I considered we were going to do this, it felt a little bit weird to do reality bites, but leave like Pulp Fiction, Natural Born Killers, some of the other hits from '94 mm-hmm. completely out of the conversation. But I really found that this had a time capsule quality to it so i'm i'm glad uh, i'm glad we're doing this one yeah uh shout out to the listener who who recommended it i completely agree with you max never seen it before didn't don't know when i would have watched this movie it's a movie that i've like heard of and aware been aware of and just never really pulled the trigger or really even been in the position to pull the trigger um so a shout out to to uh the, the listener uh, for the recommendation this was a fun deep dive uh just to kind of set the scene a little bit so Reality Bites, uh, it, it was released on February 18th of 1994. This is Ben Stiller's directorial debut. Um, he had been uh, on SNL for a brief stint. He had had the Ben Stiller show, uh, which was a sketch show. This was his directorial debut. The box office for the movie was, uh, it made $33 million in the U.S. It was kind of like a, a, a mild hit at the time. It has a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 67% on Metacritic. It's a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. So I'm going to just say that listener listener Alex uh, requested this saying, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on Reality Bites. It feels like it it took an important role as the coming of age story of the early 90s, a future all-star cast of young actors and the dr- directorial debut of Ben Stiller. While it's not the greatest, while, while it's not the greatest movie, it seems to have a huge staying power. So hmm. that's aptly sets the table for us a bit here. Mm-hmm. What were you gonna say? Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's all very true. I think the staying power of it. Basically, my understanding of this movie is consistent after what, like before I saw it, is consistent with with kind of what I think after seeing this movie, where it is, it does like sort of represent Generation X. And Max, you and I are millennials. Our parents are baby boomers, and I think like naturally, families naturally have a gap like between the parent i mean i I won't say naturally but i think it's like it's not uncommon for a family to have a generational gap in it where it's like the parents are from one generation there's a generation in there and then their children are of another generation obviously this isn't like universally true but that is like consistent with my family and something i felt over time and follow me here i felt this with like the 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 generation that that like truly experienced and like fought in vietnam and vietnam was like a huge presence i feel like my parents were just young enough where they just missed the brunt end of that. It, that was like when I first like became aware of like, oh, like, oh, there's like missing chunks of time and history within my family naturally, just based on like the ages of the people in my family. And watching this movie, it was like, oh yeah, Generation X, like the stuff they're referencing here and kind of the general like tone of these people uh, and the struggles of these like, you know, young college graduates are a slightly alien to me. Like there is the universal like, struggling for money post, you know, 
uh, post-collegiately and all this, but but g- generally speaking, the kind of tone of everything and, and the specifics of everything, uh, uh, I found to be slightly alien. And uh, it, the, watching this movie, it was kind of a like a peek into sort of a, a you know, a, a relatively big movie trying to tackle these like headline issues for what generation, what what generation x was uh was presumably going through did you feel similar to this well yeah i mean there's a few things i'll respond to that you just that you just touched on so we are not in gen x but i feel like we were like we 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 could see gen x peripherally somehow like i'm i'm familiar with like i wouldn't say i'm nostalgic for the 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 clothes the aesthetic the look mtv Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. this sort of stuff but it's like not something i'm unfamiliar with it was something like yeah that you could sort of peer into as a kid even though we weren't participating in yes. that so it was a weird like feeling of nostalgia for something i never really experienced interesting i i can get on board with that i d- I don't, I can't say that I felt the nostalgia necessarily. There were certainly like, I recognized it. And I think part, like the main reason for that is sort of to your point is the MTV like was born or at least was kind of the representation of this, this aesthetic and like kind of the art imitates life, imitates art quality. Like MTV represented that. And I think like, you know, being familiar with MTV was probably the main reason why you know, this was at least peripheral to us. Cause it's like, it's like Nirvana is also like, if you want to point to singular things that like represent generation X, it's like, it's like Nirvana MTV, um, grunge, like, yeah. Which is like what this movie is. Like, that's like the aesthetic of these movie, this movie, that's who these people are. But I yeah. would say like, so even though this movie squarely places itself into a time period and we are not part of that generation, mm-hmm. it like, it also is a sort of a universal, it asks a few universal questions, which I think a lot of people can relate to, namely like, what the fuck am I going to do after sure. college? And like, uh, how do I, you know, value relationships? How do I maintain relationships? And how do I walk away from the relationships that are not good for me? You know, these are yeah. struggles that I think every generation can can sort of relate to. So, yeah, no, I I, I would definitely agree with that. Let's let's like get into it. I uh, did you like this movie? I liked a lot of things about mm-hmm. this movie. I mm-hmm. definitely enjoyed watching it. I can't. I think we're both pretty openly, or at least I am. A, I'm pretty openly a big Ethan Hawke fan. Yes, uh, same, same. I also like had a huge crush on Winona Ryder when I was a kid. Um, he- at, like around this time. Okay. And yeah. uh, I ride or die with Steve Zahn. So, I mean, just right <laughs> off the, from the first, for the first, from the first scene, I'm like, you know, ready to rock. Great cast. Great cast for sure. I, I've always been a huge Ben Stiller fan and kind of recently was like, oh yeah, he was like a huge comedy figure. He, he was like very influential. So funny. Loved his movies. And like to watch him here, he does. Yeah. He, he's great. Ethan Hawke's great. Went on a wide rider is great here. Yeah, I'm not ride or die Steve Zahn, but I love Steve Zahn. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great cast. And there's even like some really good peripheral small cameos too from from uh from young actors. I mean, we got we got David Spade as uh in a little cameo there. We got Renee Zellweger appearing. Oh yeah, for like a for one night like stand, three seconds, woman. yeah. Yes, it's really incredible to be like that's Renee Zellweger and then never see her again. I looked it up and this was her first credited role, which is a fun little bit of trivia. 
And, and just, I mean, it's just funny her role in the, her, like, what was her credit in the film? Like, One Night Stand? I didn't girl. even like, I didn't even like see like what it was, <laughs> what, what it actually, I mean, it, yeah, it probably was just like girl on porch. Woman, woman yeah. on, woman on porch. Yeah. Cause she's, she's won two, Renee Zellweger's won two Oscars now. I mean, let's try, okay. Winona Ryder watching her in this movie, it made me aware. I, growing up, I was aware of her. I wouldn't say I had a crush on her growing up, but I was like familiar with her from like Beetlejuice, I think was my main reference point with her. But like, I've come to realize like in the early nineties, she was like arguably the it like young actress like certainly one of them like she like so like from like 88 on she's like in beetlejuice heathers edward scissorhands bram stoker's dracula age of innocence this little women but she i mean she what i was gonna say is she's like the gen x 90s like icon yeah, yeah, I, think that's yeah. I mean, is. she yeah. it, it's not even like, oh, she's the best actress or like had the best career or something like that. But you're right. And I think this movie has a large is the is a large is a big reason for that. I think like she was cast probably because she was already that. But this certainly like solidified it. Like it just feels like also, man, she is like gorgeous. Like watch this movie. Oh, like, yeah. Wow. Pretty incredible. I mean, I think we like lose sight. We do lose sight of that watching movies, like how truly like generationally gorgeous every, at least like leading actor and actors where we see in a movie is like truly, if we saw any of these people in real life, we would be speechless. Yeah. It's like just a given that every, everyone that we're seeing is just like stunning. Also, I have, speaking of just stunning, Ethan Hawke is just, he's, he's a gorgeous person. I think I'm going to like grow like a, like a nineties goatee. Do you think Dude, that would be cool? Uh, do were I you thinking th about this too after watching this movie? I, I I wasn't. I actually thought he kind of looked a little like he wasn't bloated, but he was heavy, a little heavy. Okay, <laughs> maybe that was a character choice because that is like believably post post. I mean, that maybe like whether it's 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 uh, intentional or not, that is a very believable post collegiate character choice where it's like, yeah, you're like you're not really conscious of like healthy foods. You're just eating what you want, and uh, for Winona Ryder, who's like chugging big gulps and always drinking soda in every scene like is like not quite believable for the figure that she has but Ethan Hawke who's like Ethan Hawke's character in this really reminded me realistically of like that gross musty directionlessness of like college and like after college where it's like bro like just like go for a run and like don't be smoking and like Honestly, like it's not it's not possible to read too much, but the, it's like you need to be doing other stuff though too, bro. I, I can see like why people would swoon over him and his character specifically in this movie. Like I could see like him being a you know a sex icon for for Generation X because of this. But like I did I did find like I did not like his character. Maybe it's because there was parts of him that reminded me of myself, where it was just like very idealistic to a point of like. You, you need to grow up a little bit, bro. Like, I like these ideals, but like, you need to, you need to grow up. But wait, what do you think about the goatee idea? <laughs> you're so one-minded. Uh, I think you, you acted like you're going to answer it. And then, and then you just I, like started talking about goatee, yourself. Goatee classic. on you, Max, you could pull, you could pull off a goatee for sure. Absolutely. I think you should do it. I'd be interested to see. I think it, it really, if you're going to do it, I'd say go all the way and grow the hair out like, okay. like him. And so you can do the kind of like. You know, that, that to me, it's like the, it's like the matted down greasy kind of behind the ears, long hair with the goatee is like really the look. I'll, I'll piggyback off what you were actually saying about the movie and not about, um, my facial hair. No, and that it's, is it's an that, answer. 
Yeah, the, the whole thing works with with Ethan Hawke's character with Troy, Troy Dyer. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that is because you're right. He like, he walks this line of being like, you're gross, dude. You're an asshole. Get your life together. But I totally get why, why Lelena chooses you in the end. So in that sense, he's sort of like the perfect casting. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I have issues with the love triangle, but yes, I, 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 I agree with you. It is believable. It's sweet. I found myself understanding that, but I think like personally, because it was a little too real for me, like aspects of his character, I didn't, I wasn't like super warm and fuzzy about him. I, I found myself kind of like, grow up, bro, fucking grow up, clean the fucking apartment. And is that because you're more of a Michael, you feel like? Uh, no, no. Or are Jesus you more of a Christ, Troy? No. I'm more of a Troy for sure. There's no question. Okay. So you saw this reflected in yourself. Yes, absolutely. You, okay. you asking which one, if I'm more of a Michael, I thought the answer was so obviously no, that that was you were asking as a joke. I, 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 I okay. was asking as okay. a joke. I'm clarifying, okay. I, but, but it, it should nonetheless be clarified for, for our listeners yeah, fair, too. Fair. Yeah. No, don't know d- you. for the record, I, I was, and there are. If left unchecked, I still am Troy. So that's why I think I, <laughs> I wasn't super warm and fuzzy to him. <laughs> Take us there. What do you want to? What do you want to talk about? So let's just talk about the love triangle that's at the heart of this movie because you just referenced it, and I found it as one of the the pieces of it that was lacking. Like I think the strength of this movie is the kind of hangout nature of it and kind of the vignettes, for lack of a better term, that we just see like the mood of it, the set of the setting of it. The kind of what they're talking about is very, it feels representational and the, the movie is a time capsule ultimately. I think that's, if, if we have to reduce it down to like one singular reason why it's endured, I think it's because it is so saturated in its time. And I think the reason that is, is because like, I was thinking about it watching this is like when you have the, when you're focused on like young characters, that's like when you're really getting like of the time because it's like, you know, from like high school graduation to college graduation to like right after college, it's like that age group is the representation of that time. It's because like everything is is like they are at in the crosshairs of all advertising, all products. Every piece of culture the, is like they are is aimed at them and they're like in a place to just absorb it to their core. And to in a lot of ways to to define it. Yes. There's probably artists, there's filmmakers, there's musicians that are not let's say 18 to 30 years old that can define 2021. But like you're saying, I feel like the, the fucking meat of, of output or at least of where the output is aimed to is in 18 to 18 to 30 year olds. So that's a really good point you make. You're right. Cause it's like, they are the generation personified. And so like watching this movie, it's like, oh yeah. Like any movies or any stories that is talking about this age group, no matter what time period it's in it, that is inevitably, even if it's intentional or not, that is what it's, it's going to be a quality of that movie is because those, every person, like the music they like, their taste is usually rooted in the time when they were in that age range of 18 to 30 and so watching this is like looking at the love triangle at the middle of this movie is like representational of kind of the views of maybe the generation is what i drew from it where it's like you have this idealistic kind of slacker character in ethan Hawke's troy our protagonist lelena is sort of kind of straddling like does she want to be idealistic and like stick to this like documentary and like be true to that uh or does she like will she be seduced by the yuppie who has been stiller, like the professional who like kind of set aside or n- maybe never had the sort of like idealistic views. 
that 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 Troy's character has. And so like, it, so that works generationally. I mean, it's like pretty broad. I I guess my main criticism of that and of the movie in general is it could have used just like a layer to a layer or two more of nuance and everything. I think one thing that we maybe just you and I, but I think our generation um, is that we're a little less obsessed with the concept of selling out than this movie makes Generation X out to be. I would agree with that. Because that's really at the heart of this movie. Are you going to sell out and and be with Michael and like, you know, jumpstart your adult life? Or are you going to uh, lie around your apartment and bask in ideals with super handsome Troy Dyer? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, totally, it is. And I think you're totally right. Like selling out is something that maybe the, the concept has occurred to me, but like our generation like has not used the word selling out. And I feel like it is not just a semantics thing. I do feel like that is like, a, uh, it's not as binary, I don't think, to to, to, to millennials or at least to, to from my experience. I get the feeling, and again, this is a, this is a generalization, but like in the 90s, a band could like totally fucking kill all their momentum by being in a bank commercial, which right. I don't feel like is the same no. way now. And here on the Oscar went to soon as the, the sponsorship money comes knocking, we'll take it. We'll sell out. Yeah. <laughs> listeners be damned. I don't care if we lose every <laughs> listener, which is, which is likely. I know they don't want us to sell out. <laughs> yeah. No, you're totally right. It is like a given thing now where it's like just a corporate partnership, any sort of like endorsement like that. Yeah. It's not like a line in the sand by any means. It's just like a given and like an understood like, yeah, got to do what you got to do. I would say even... I, maybe that is why the like lack or it, it, this movie like reads and the love triangle reads as lacking nuance because it's like I feel it I felt it the most with Michael's Michael Ben Siller's character like I, I understood him and I could have just used like maybe like just a little bit more fleshing out because like I did feel for Michael like I didn't feel like he was this heartless you know asshole basically what it comes down to is by the end the way she like just like cuts him off is like I felt unjustified. And the fact that we get in the credit sequence, kind of this like real world parody uh, of the, uh, of reality bites of like her documentary and like the implication I took from it is that like Michael made this kind of out of spite or like it was his like kind of lack of understanding of her and like what, you know, what she was about. It like, it read as like untrue to the character. He just doesn't seem like this heartless sellout. Like he, he like any interaction that he has with her or Ethan Hawke even where like, you know, when it gets like the most heated where he's like, I can something effective, like I can please her in ways that or like you, you can never actually make her happy. Like I in the ways that I could. But it's like it's like that's true. And that's why Ethan Hawke is like stopped in yeah. his track. Michael's that, a nicer person. Yes. Than Troy. <laughs> yes. It, that's what that's uh, that is so true. That is. Yes. Like Troy's an asshole and Michael is not Michael. There's like a better chance of Michael being like coming around and being like the, the the best choice where Troy's like has a long, much long. And I'm saying this from personal experience has a much longer way to go. <laughs> well, all right. And l let me just jump back to the selling out thing and make one final point about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. The irony. Can you define irony? Uh, it is when something it mean, it comes to mean the opposite of what it is. I'm not putting on blast. I just like that line. Can you define irony? It's when the actual meaning is the complete opposite from the literal meaning. 
The irony of this movie is that this is like a studio picture yeah, with like surely a ton of product placement in it from yeah. uh, Rolling Rock to Gap. Yeah. Yeah. Huge year for Big Gulps, by the way. Oh we my talked about Big Gulps <laughs> last episode. Okay, I'm looking I'm looking up right now like the release of Big Gulps because it might have been like 93, 94 because you are so right. Also, when I pull up Big Gulps, Google Big Gulps, the first thing is the Dumb and Dumber scene like before any sort of wikipedia about big gulps pretty incredible go ahead sorry i mean so that's the irony of the film is that it seems to be representing gen x which is a generation super against the concept of selling out our protagonist follows her heart and doesn't sell out but the movie itself sort of sells out yeah it's not like an independent it's not like a true like mid-90s indie you know it's not link later yeah, it's it's Gus, Van, Gus Van Zandt isn't directing Reality Bites. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're 100% right. Big Gulps came into prominence. At least the 64-ounce giant uh, double gulp was introduced in 1988. So this is like a generational thing, for sure. Have you ever had a Big Gulp? I have had a Big Gulp. Never uh, routinely. It's always been kind of a novelty. I think because they didn't... And tell me if I'm wrong. I never... In Minnesota, we didn't have 7-Elevens. I never saw a 7-Eleven. Correct, Yeah. Yeah. That's largely why when I moved to Chicago, I definitely had a couple of big gulps, but nothing like that was, it was never part of my root daily routine. And I'm, I'm, you know, God, I think my lucky stars, we didn't make this podcast to lecture people on their diets and more power to you if you like soda, but 64 ounces of soda is way too much. Yeah, of course. I would say watching this, I was kind of like, I, if I had to pick smoking or the soda consumption in this movie, I would pick smoking, but I, th- but that is like <laughs> of the time, you know, because it's like people still, well, smoking, I feel like in like 10 years is maybe going to have like uh, the stigma that soda has, has adopted where it's like a soda is like not what it was like in the nineties, at least in this movie, it like it, it, it's clear it's like, oh, yeah. smoking <laughs> smoking is not what it was in the 90s either for sure but i would say i don't yeah. the, the soda consumption it to me that stood out more than the changes that has occurred with cigarette smoking i could be wrong about that it was just like it really shocked me and also sort of reminded me of like oh yeah like soda was like unabashedly like just consumed like and I, from my personal experience too i drank like a can of it a day i had to be limited to a can a day when i was growing up because <laughs> i loved it so much you had to be cut off yeah there is Yes, I, I'd be kicked out of uh, my local uh, soccer. Well, let, yeah, I mean, let's just touch on the, 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 the chain smoking in this movie because this is something you really don't see in movies <laughs> today. No. It, I mean, it kind of made me want to smoke, though. I see why they, they, they don't looks allow cool. it anymore. It yeah, looks it looks cool. So, but in movies, I mean, movies, like characters in movies smoke so much. Maybe not like as much in like current movies, but like any movies made before... I would say 2000. It's just like, cause it's just like in movies particularly, it's like so naturally atmospheric. The character naturally has something to do while they're just like a talking head. And it's like contemplative and like visually interesting. It's just like, it checks so many boxes. Yeah. It's an interesting character choice. It's a little mm-hmm. self-destructive, you know, yeah, it's a little, totally. I don't give a fuck. Yep. But, yep. Yeah, I mean, everyone is just banging heaters throughout this whole movie. It's it's pretty it, it, through my twenty twenty one eyes. It's pretty strange to see. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I, I do wonder if it's, if it's intent, if that was intentional, because you can feel the intentional stuff of like the big gulps, like that's like very intentionally, like they know that's like a, of the generation thing with the smoking that may, I would guess to be that that's more of like a character choice. Cause it's like Michael, I don't think smokes once, whereas we don't see Troy without a cigarette, but like kind of bla- already like half blasted in his mouth yeah surely michael doesn't smoke that fucking square dude uh, and also speaking of this that that's how like interesting that it's a cigarette uh but that uh is the meat cute for for michael and lelena like her like chucking a cigarette oh, into, yeah. his, into his convertible there you go i like it i like yeah. it have yeah. you ever smoked a cigarette yeah yeah, yeah many times not not recently many times. mom I've never. I don't know if I've ever seen you smoke a cig. Back in college, I I I would I would bum one whenever everyone was doing one. Um, but yeah, I, I I haven't in like past eight nine years. I haven't. Do you do you like? Will you buy a pack here and there? I won't really buy a pack. I had a little foray when I was first living in Europe. Not to mm. sound too pretentious, where Love I it. was uh, naturally consuming some cigarettes. But I I don't know. I kind of I kind of can't do it anymore. Like it, it kind of grosses me out not to be a square. So I haven't had one in, I don't think I've had a SIG in, in years. It, it, I have to be. But this movie made me want one. Yeah. I, I, I can't say that I like actually craved one. I think I'm more in the, yeah, I'm more in the camp of like, it doesn't quite, it's just like it, the, 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 yeah, the, the taste in the mouth, it, just like the, 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 the cons of it, like the immediate, like I'm talking like immediate cons of it overshadow anything like i have to be yeah i have to be pretty pretty drunk and has to be pretty late should we edit this out for our mom's sake because our moms listen (laughs) for sure for sure if you're a mom turn off the episode yeah all moms turn off the episode yeah we'll just add a boilerplate at the beginning just being like okay. uh this is no holds barred for uh mom information's moms will find displeasing so that love triangle, I did find that that like the the ultimate like resolution of it, I found to be particularly the how Michael ends up that felt untrue and kind of didn't do justice to his character, where it kind of like treated him like he might as well have been a unredeemable asshole, which he was far from in this movie. So it's a compliment to like Ben Stiller's character, but I just like I, the 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 ending that he met was not uh, justified. I felt yeah, but I see I agree with you completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we said before, Michael is a nicer guy and he's like, yeah, okay, maybe he butchers her vision, but like he's trying to do something for and, her. His intentions he, yes. are not bad. Yes. But I find this to be like sort of authentic, especially at this age, you know, nice guys mm. tend to finish last mm. and like this is realistic. And I don't think for one second that that Lilena and Troy are going to live happily ever after but i do feel that this is a realistic decision that lelena has made i like this take a lot i can get behind that for sure bad just decisions reflective of the age yes i can get behind this especially when we're talking about envisioning their future together envisioning lelena in like her mid-30s reflecting on her early 20s i could see like troy like having a special place in her, her her heart but they are not together anymore or no fuck no Dude, troy <laughs> you think troy is gonna play house no well here, here, here's something interesting is if we're looking just like 
because I did find myself flashing on seeing Ethan Hawke in this kind of rundown little like house apartment in Houston, his character in boyhood, his father character in boyhood and the arc his, his father character takes. Like when we first see that father character in boyhood, he's in a, an apartment like I don't know if it's intentional or not. That looks just like their shitty apartment. And then we see him like arc out of that where he goes from like an idealistic slacker Gen Xer to like a dad who like drives a minivan and like has like has taken on some responsibility. I wonder if that's intentional on like Linklater and, and Ethan Hawke's part where it's like kind of a man, this is like really firing my brain off. Like I want to watch Boyhood now. I yeah, I love Boyhood. I see I've always thought that Boyhood was a little bit of a connection to to Jesse in in the befores because we know Jesse has a kid and, and gets divorced eventually. Wow. Yeah. That's probably more realistic i do need to rewatch that whole trilogy the before trilogy but talking about this now it's like ethan hawk what what we are saying here is that ethan hawk is like representative like the characters that he's playing in the mid 90s are iconic gen x like he is representing representing gen x and specifically like slacker idealistic gen x like he is like the poster boy for it and so that's why i think all of this like is is kind of fluidly connecting which is cool agreed Agreed. Okay, so like, and, and just like talking about the represent representative quality that these characters are taking on with like Michael being a yuppie and Troy being a Gen Xer, Lil Lane is stuck in the middle of it. We have Janine Garofalo kind of concerned about if she has HIV or not being like, you know, sexually, very sexually active. That felt very broad to me, as did, and even more so egregiously, is Steve Zahn coming out to his parents or to his mom. Because like, and tell me if I'm wrong, we didn't, I didn't know Steve Zahn's character was gay until like this like little pocket in the movie where he comes out. Like we don't see him with, with another man. Like we don't see, my immediate takeaway was like, oh, this movie is like reflective of the time in that like, it's, it's like quote unquote cutting edge because like we have a gay character coming out to their parents, but also reflective of the time, like we're not going to show any of that. Yeah, but we're not going to show any sort of like gay imply whatsoever. Gay. Not even yeah. implied. We're not even going to show like a boyfriend in the background. Like, like maybe I missed something, but I didn't pick up on it at all. It's yeah. I mean, I agree with you. This is, but it, this is a studio film. You know, yeah, right? That, exactly. That's the thing. Yes. So yes. I, I don't think that it was these were taboo uh, topics in the mid '90s, but in this studio world, it's probably something they didn't. Um, really want to get into and so it's all handled with like it's all handled with like kit gloves like it's like yeah these are big yeah. topics we're only going to like glaze over them basically that's a great point i think i think steve zahn's character is like the biggest reflection of that yeah where it's like handled with like a 10-foot pole but I, I i'm gonna say again that steve zahn is awesome and i've been so confused why he's never like he's never been like the Seth Rogen of like a five-year period, you know? Hmm. That's an interesting conversation because I, I do like Steve Zahn. He is so such an extreme type. It's a ve- And it's an extremely appealing type. I don't know. I don't know. I, I say I love Steve Zahn. I would never like, I, I don't think I have the love that you're exuding for him, but can we talk about moments or does I have a moment particular that I really loved from this movie? Yeah. I, uh, the, the, on Michael and Lelena's first date when they're like sipping the big gulps in the back of his backseat of his convertible and just kind of like talking and stuff. And Peter Frampton is playing. And I think I, I could be wrong, but just like, I'm thinking like, I think Michael's character liking Peter Frampton and saying that it changed his life is like a joke because it's like, I think that maybe like yuppie, like 
you know yeah it's too mainstream it's lame mainstream and bullshit and so it's like kind of laughable that humor of that is like i think lost at least to me a little bit but i did like pick up on it but i really like that peter frampton song playing them kissing and then i've really the moment that really just i've loved is ethan hawk's uh, Troy walking by with his guitar case and cigarette and like coming upon it and that music and using that like that that music and it just like swells as he's seeing it it's just like a really nice confluence of 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 things like it just I really enjoyed it and wanted to see a little bit more of that where it was like using the elements in the movie like whether it be music playing like what do you do, what is that called when music is playing in the movie like on a radio like it's called like diegetic 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 yeah Whereas like and that non-diegetics move, like soundtrack, yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay, I really liked that move of like the the diegetic music and then being swelled to basically be non-diegetic. Like that moves like that. I felt like I, I could use a little bit more of that because because it was a really suave move and that that is the moment I like really. I was listening to Peter Frampton the next day on Spotify because of that moment. And then when he and then when she comes in. After an Ethan Hawke just sitting in the dark and, and he's like, did he dazzle you with his extensive knowledge of mineral water? <laughs> Dude, Ethan Hawke's lines in this movie are like very clearly like written, but like they are good. Like the, yeah, he so does have good one liners, witty, snappy uh, one liners. I love the moment. And I think my guess, this is not a hot take on my part, but the gas mm-hmm. station scene is like perfect. I like watch oh, it like four times. Oh, interesting. Okay, so this is like an iconic scene from the movie. I'm just guessing it is. You didn't like that scene? I did not like that scene. Oh, like, what's your glitch, bro? <laughs> Dude, does he say that in the scene? <laughs> no, he said no, no, Ben Stiller says no, that. No, no, Ben Stiller says God, that to you. Damn, man. <laughs> no, man, there's like shit like that where it's like the the gas station scene like made me like cringe a little bit. I don't like the fucking word cringe. Makes me sound like a Gen Zer, but I did like find myself like, oh God, like, and like, yeah, I mean, that's me kind of, that's personal taste, but, um, I really like the gas station scene because you can watch the scene and you can watch each character and it tells you so much about their character from that little moment. And then I really, I think what makes it like special for lack of a better word for Mm -hmm. me is when it cuts to the exterior. I really like that. It looked like a fucking like Edward Hopper painting or something like that. So the whole okay. thing like, yes. had a, a nice touch to it. Yes, I did like that shot where you saw like the stars in the sky. It was like super wide, and that that is a, a nice a nice shot. And this is a nice time to say that this was shot by Emmanuel Lubetsky. Insane when I saw that. It truly <laughs> like, blew my mind when I saw that in the opening credits, and. I like to think that I kind of forgot that as I was watching the movie and found myself thinking multiple times. I'm like, this is sh- like, this is, this is beautiful imagery. Like it's like lit really nicely. It's warm. Like it, it, it like has a very strong visual quality to it, especially like, like the use of like home video into the, into the, well, like the information and, and scenes that we get like through home video with like the, the thing that's like shot on, on, you know, film is it, it's, it's really nice. It, it's not anywhere close to the no. the the level he has established himself at now no. but as i don't know he must have been in his late 20s when he shot this and uh yeah you could tell that he's a super talented guy it's mm-hmm. it's glossy it's studio but it's 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 really nice and they let the camera linger a little bit more than films in the 90s would i feel like where there's like a little bit less cutting than you'd expect with this type of movie fewer close ups and these are all sorts of, you know, sort of touchstones of his of his style. 
Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, for those, I mean, we who don't know, Emmanuel Lubetsky is a uh, the cinematographer, and he's established himself as pretty much the best or one of the top two cinematographers on the planet, shooting things like Tree of Life, um, The Revenant, Birdman, Gravity. What else you got for me? Children of Men. Um, I was going to say earlier when you said linger, I was going to uh, say, do you have to, do you have to, do you have to let it linger, um, which is a Cranberry song from the 90s, but missed the, missed the mark. But Okay. Maybe we can edit that back. So you, <laughs> nice one, dude. <laughs> yes. So I just pulled up some, uh, Troy quotes and they include, um, you've reached the winter of our discontent, which is set into the, as a voicemail message. Um, he's the reason cliff cliff notes were invented. Honey. The only thing you have to be at age 23 is yourself. Our employee snacks subsidized. You look like a doily okay this is this is like this is like wiki quotes i mean he really is like like the lines that he's like given like just kind of in the like one-off reactions that he that he has are like pretty dense and and good there's no point to any of this it's just a random lottery of meaningless tragedy in a series of near escapes so i take pleasure in the details you know a quarter pounder with cheese those are good sky about 10 minutes before it starts to rain the moments where you, your laughter becomes a cackle and I, I sit back and smoke my camel straights and ride my own melt. Hey, what is your glitch, huh? My glitch? You know what? We're already no, late. No, 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 I, so I really, I really so enjoyed good. that. Yes. Uh, hey. <laughs> okay, I have some, I have some uh, qualms with it. So, where do you want to take us? Yeah. Did we have other moments? I guess we only did two, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> when Ethan Hawke lays the um, super coffee cigarette-y, uh kiss on Winona Ryder. Yeah. When they're like by the fountain is a nice scene, but I can't help but imagine how terrible both their breath breaths, That's a good, <clears throat> breaths are. I don't... <clears throat> Sorry, I've been smoking a ton. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've kissed enough smokers to, to identify that because that was like a, a, a sexy kiss. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me is just how open mouth. It is really wild, and I think we don't really even think about it or talk about it much. As a society, when we see like two people kiss in a movie, it is like we're really looking at a lot of nuance because like there's a million, especially the start of a kiss is like, there's a million ways. And it's such an intimate moment when two people kiss and it's like all, it's like almost animalistic, like how you're kind of like moving your face and like brushing up against each other and like initiating the kiss and starting it. And that moment particularly stands out because it is like, it's initiated in this like way where they're kind of like not resistant, but into it. And like it, it, yeah, it's like a powerful kiss it's it's to your point it yeah it's a nice little scene it just does it speaks to that like i feel like some relationships at that time where it is like platonic but also has this like sexual tension to it 
and just like walking that line. Yeah, it, it, that is a nice scene, and like it definitely personifies like their dynamic. What 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 nitpicks do you have? What what qualms do you want to bring up? To my point earlier, where it's like kind of lack of nuance broadly, that is probably most egregious and felt in John Mahoney's performance as the TV host. I, I feel, okay. Yeah, like I'm a big John Mahoney fan. I love him. I know he's like a, a, a legend of Good, Goodman Theater in Chicago and from Frasier. But it just felt like he was miscast or like the character itself was like just like completely warped. It was so broad. Like him just being like, like imagine the show that we're seeing and just like seeing that as like an, a TV audience. It's like this like fake like. Yes, and now we're gonna do this, and now it's we're, we got this going here, and then like that was really off-putting, and then like to have him sort of be just like this, like truly only mean to her was just like it just was it just it was a little too it was too broad for me. I w- I thought about this a little bit that it is it is one-dimensional character, but it's not really a relationship or a part of the story that mm-hmm. we need to be fleshed out no. more than that. No. And I, I'll give the movie benefit of the doubt that probably morning shows in Houston in the early 90s were terrible. Yes, I would agree. It just like seemed too cartoonish to me. It like wasn't like consistent with the reality of the movie itself. Who has gone all the way through college and is still smoking weed out of a pop can? That was a bit of a nitpick I had. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you're 23, bro. Like yeah. you don't have like a piece or know how to roll a joint or like you're yeah. smoking out of aluminum or you can't like whip up a gravity bong or something. Come on now. Well, I mean, is that reflective of the time? I wonder like, was like, I mean, they, was there like practical smoking paraphernalia that was that around at that time? Or was it just like bongs and pipes? I mean, I guess you'd have a pipe. I don't for know. Sure. Yeah. I guess we need to have somebody on a Gen X on to explain that. Cause I don't know, but I thought like, you only smoked out of a can before you were like old enough to have any paraphernalia, not that like as a choice. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, I was a good boy. Didn't smoke weed until college, so I don't know. And what'd you smoke out of first? A can. Uh, oh, that's a good. No, it was a little. Uh, it was a little purple bong that we called Barney. <laughs> <laughs> well, I the first thing I smoked out of was a can. So that was nice. on, on par, but okay, but like you know, ten years too too late. Was it a beer can, a soda can, Lacroix? Can? A soda can. Okay, that's that's of course that's that's winsome. It's probably a Shasta. <laughs> After a little league game, it was the it was the cooler pops. <laughs> Hell yeah, I love that. Uh, <laughs> a Capri Sun. <laughs> Yeah, you haven't really smoked until you've hotboxed a Capri Sunbag. <laughs> we just did like the volcano, but with a with a uh, mountain mountain chill Capri Sunbag. <laughs> uh, that's that's very rich. I just realized too, side tangent, that I'm nostalgic about this. is The first time I'm realizing I'm nostalgic about a bong, and that it's possible to be nostalgic about a bong. Thinking about little Barney. Oh wow, I'm. Uh... I, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, said and I'm sticking to it that I'm never smoking out of a bong again in my life. I, I'm not saying I want to, but I'm saying, <laughs> I mean, sim- similar to like, I don't know, similar to like another thing that's un- I never want to do again. I mean, it is. Okay. I mean, yeah, it, it, this is an interesting conversation. Establishing this thought out loud. You can be nostalgic about things you never want to do again. 
Yeah. Like my job at, yeah. at the, you know, as a stock boy in college. It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. That's true. Ripping shots of Sambuca. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's things I'm nostalgic for that I don't ever want to do again. That's that's <laughs> lighting my dripping. lighting my bowl with the the butt of a cigarette. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <it was> probably... <laughs> well, that's like the spirit of this of reality bites. Yes, I think okay. that's like like to to Alex's point. I think or to answer Alex's sort of question is that it is like th- this movie has staying power and endurance. Although I, you know, neither one of have neither one of us had seen it. I, both of us are very familiar you know it's a reference point and i had heard of it and knew who was in it and kind of like what it its thing was and uh, i think that's why is because it, it it captures that time in life even when you remove the 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 time that it's representing and of it it captures that moment in life very well and so i i think that that i would say is ultimately why it like has endured do you have any other nostalgic things that you don't ever want to do again <laughs> yeah i need to uh i'm trying to like make sure that i like want this on the air things that i'm like okay being on the air i mean sure like i mean like smoking cigarettes out on like the front porch of a truly like a uh, 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 an old house that like legally i think should have been condemned for sure but like all my friends were living in it <laughs> like ryan's house yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> junior year. It, uh, yes. Where it's just like, yeah, the wood is like, yeah, breathing in lead paint, chips. And also like mold is just like accepted. I, and, and, <laughs> and I will say this, I need to like, that was like my own places too, where it was like the cleanliness of everything was like non-existent. Like senior year of college, the shower I shared with my roommate was the drain was completely plugged up so that like anytime you showered, you were by the, you took a 15 minute shower. You were at the end of the shower. Like you had water up to your knees. Like it was a full like <laughs> bath, a foot bath. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just like the, 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 the grayest, most like brownish water ever. And it just like slowly drained over the rest of the day. I mean, it's just like horrible, but I am nostalgic about that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> And then would you rinse your feet somehow at the end or would you just put them in your socks and go to class? No, they were washed. I mean, they they had a little <laughs> bath, a brown water bath. They were probably the cleanest part of me in hindsight. Uh, they were like just being bathed in your own filth already? Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd basically like, you'd have trench foot from taking a, a, a shower. Yeah. It was not pretty. <laughs> not pretty at all. Nostalgic about just like dumping frozen chicken nuggets onto a cookie sheet and calling it dinner. <laughs> Never going to do that again. All right. Well, let me ask you one other question. I guess it sort of relates to this. And then we, you know, we're probably at the ra- mm-hmm. the wrap up uh, time, mm-hmm. the, the witching hour. Mm-hmm. Um, does this movie make you nostalgic for this point of your life at all? That's a really good question. To answer your question, I think this movie evokes this time in life really well. It does a really good job of that. I think it comes down to like whether or not person to person, like whether one is nostalgic of those times particularly. I am not, despite, I mean, I'm, you know, sort of being 
comical just now. I, I do find, I think I was like I, college and like after college for me were like a pretty really good things came from that time, but I'm not like, it was like a rough time. Like I was trying to, I was moved to Chicago. I didn't know what I was doing. It was just like, there were some dark times there. And, and, and yeah, when I say like, I don't like Troy, I've realized in talking here that is largely because it, there is like a lot that was me. And, and it's just like, it's just loaded. So I will say to the movie's credit, it evokes that time re- really well, whether or not it makes one nostalgic for it. It's just dependent on if that person is nostalgic about that time in, in their life. What, how, do, how do you feel, Max? Well, I think it sort of, it, 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 it really connects to the conversation we were just having mm. where I don't, um, I don't want to go back to that time. Yeah. And it was hard. It was a hard time in a lot of ways, but I am also sort of nostalgic yeah. for it. Yeah. This movie made me both appreciate it and be happy that I'm no longer living it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, that's sort of the, it's that like duality of it, of nostalgic, but not wanting to go back. Sort of nudge us towards wrapping up here by asking, do you think this is a, do you think this is a good movie? I think it's a solid movie. I think it's a solid movie. I think I, I, I totally understand and, and, and imagine that if I were a Gen Xer, I would like, this movie would be beloved to me. I think it's an extremely solid movie. I I don't know. I, I may have gone my entire life not seeing it had it not been for for this podcast episode. I uh, I'm glad I saw it. I think it's like really solid for what it is. But like whatever intricacies gets one to like it's under your skin and you can't stop thinking about it and you rewatch it every so often. It's not that for me unless it becomes that somehow unexpectedly. So I think it's a solid movie and 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 I can see why it has a cult following. I don't consider myself in that cult following. Max, how about you? Is this a good movie? I think I I like I said at, at the top of this episode I enjoyed watching this and mm-hmm. it does like it has a lot of good qualities. Once I heard um or I think I read somewhere Jojo Rabbit described as the greatest Wes Anderson film. Interesting, yeah. Yep, I'm following you. So if I if I go along those lines, and Jojo Rabbit was not directed by Wes Anderson, right. that's the point. But it's like in right. the same world. If I'm mm-hmm. going along those lines, I think this is the worst Richard Linklater film ever made. Ooh, but I love Richard Linklater, so it's in it, it's barking up the right tree. It's in the it's in the right world, but it it doesn't quite do it for me. I really as like, like that. the authentic, yes, the authentic version of it. Yes. I really like that a lot. And also like looking at it through the lens of like, it's a, you know, it's Ben Siller's first directorial effort. It's like knowing that it's a first one, it's a first film. There's like a forgiveness or a grace that comes with watching it. That's, that's really well put. Link letters worst. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds horrible, but they're so mean, but I think, yes, I think it's a compliment. The fact that it's in Houston is really something. I, we didn't like touch upon that, but that really surprised me. Why? Well, it's like, why Houston? Like, if it's like a studio movie, like like Houston's, it didn't, I like that it was like, not just like LA or New York uh, default, but like, I did find myself wondering like, why Houston? But it, I, I guess I like that, like thinking about it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, why not? It just surprised me because of that. Yeah. I imagine they all went to UT and then like went to the big city or something like that. This was yeah. my assumption. This is an interesting thing where it's like with locations for movies, unless the filmmaker has a personal attachment or like, you know, with like Alexander Payne and like the Midwest or Linklater with Texas, 
unless a movie is in LA or New York, it always feels like I'm expecting as an audience member justification for why it's like wherever it is. And I think like, even from like a production standpoint, it's like, yeah, tax incentive, like just something like that. And like, if this movie is just like in Houston, because it's like, yeah, these are just people. I really enjoy that. And I think, yeah, that's a really cool thing, which I had like an angle I hadn't thought of. Yeah. And I think it's probably like a more, um, it's a better placeholder. So more people can somehow relate to it, even though, we don't live, we're not from Houston and we don't live in Houston. It's more because they they don't, Houston has nothing to do with it. It's just like right, right. a relatively big city that's not LA or New York. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. It also feels like, um, yeah, like Houston's like just big enough of a city where it's like, it's just like a blanket, like abstract city, big city. Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. That tracks. Cool. All right, dude. Let's let's sign off. I mean, I yeah. think you know. I'll ask the question. I always we all, we always ask, which is, does this um, after this viewing, does this change anything with your top five? For me, no. But I really enjoyed watching this, and I appreciate again the the uh, request from Alex. How about you? Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, doesn't change my top five. Uh, but it was like a really fun watch that I, I don't know that I would have done otherwise. So. Yes, thank you, Alex. Thanks for writing in. It was really fun to to watch this movie and, and kind of deconstruct it. Um, definitely a fun one, and I would I would recommend it to people for sure. All right, barring um, barring uh, either one of us calling an emergency podcast mm-hmm. here, um, mm-hmm. we'll be taking uh, one step forward into 1995. I'm so Correct. I'm 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 biting at the bit. I'm frothing at the mouth. All right, yeah, cool. I'm going to sign off. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. And if you have a moment and enjoyed the show, leave us a good review. It goes a long way to creating a situation where we can continue making these podcasts, which we are definitely enjoying. We'd love to hear from you. If you agree with us, disagree with us, or have your own hot takes, send us an email or a voice memo to theoscarwentto at gmail.com. And if we think you're onto something, we'll play it on an upcoming episode. Also, if you have a film you'd like us to talk about, shoot us an email and explain why you love or hate it, and we'll consider it for an upcoming deep dive. And uh, our next focus, like I just said, is on 1995. Yes. So yeah, any movies that you want us to watch from 1995, please send us send it in because we're got, all ears I, now. Yeah, we are all ears. I'm very excited. A lot in 1995 to 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 jump into. I know. Or yeah, we could just do. Yeah, we could just swoon over Ethan Hawke a little bit more. And, we just uh, might. <laughs> we just might. All right, man. Um, it's been real. Well, it's been real. I'm sad to say bye. That's why I'm sort of like stumbling off here. Yeah, I got nothing else to say. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been a good year, hell of a year. All right. Yeah, but uh, we'll see you next time, bud. Farewell, 1994. Bye bye. Bye.